You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Big slate of college football action today. We've got some early games going on. Cotton Bowl between number 17 Memphis and number 10 Penn State. About 11 minutes to go in the second quarter. Penn State with a one-point lead up 14-13 on the Tigers. Journey Brown, the Penn State running back with four carries for 40 yards and a touchdown. And then Notre Dame, Iowa State in the Camping World Bowl. Big fan of that game, of course. The Camping World. Uh, the Fighting Irish up 10-0 on the Cyclones in the second quarter. Uh, number 15, Notre Dame, looking for their 11th win of the season. Uh, but like we talked about, the college football playoff getting underway later this afternoon. I got to say, with bowl season, there is a unique beauty to the random bowl games that you do not get with the big ones where – like we saw the ending between Pitt and Eastern Michigan. Yeah, I mean, there, there's nothing beautiful about somebody taking a swipe at a player and connecting with a referee. But well, you, connecting with the referee yeah. is debatable. There, Curtis, he hit his hat. <laughs> That's okay, true. Uh, and the referee pulled a bloody diva. Yeah. <laughs> just oh, okay. What but, is this Italian soccer? Ah, oh, he fell for like 20 minutes. But like, where else are you going to see Louisiana Tech shut out Miami? Anywhere. Like, you're never going to see that other than bowl season. You're never going to see, let's see here, uh, what was it, Michigan State yesterday. They had a a lineman score a touchdown and also got penalized 15 yards for excessive celebration. This (laughs) lineman, let him celebrate. He's never going to find the end zone again. Let the kids play, okay? Bowl season. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. Is there any other equivalent in sports that you could think of? Is it? Like March Madness? No? I guess that's Quite? the only thing like, close. Yeah, but conference tournament season where yeah. you've got like these really tiny schools Just doing the, their thing. The weird things can happen. I don't know. That's a great question. If you've got an idea, text in 710-710. Is there equivalent in another sport? Soccer kind of has like their own country cups, you know, like the FA Cup in England. You have like mm-hmm. the small teams that will beat like a Man United or something like that. Yeah. So, but, but again, still kind of... Different because that's a, like a forced tournament you have every single year. You don't know if you know Louisiana Tech is going to be in it or you know Louisiana Lafayette is going to be in it to Raging Cages take, man. take some team down. So those are always great to see. Not enough bowl games. That's my hot take. Whoa, hot take! Give me some more bowl games. Dang, I want to see four <laughs> win teams playing uh, in the <laughs> Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. That brings us to this hour's big three. Number one. Well, like we talked about, some pretty big bowl games on the docket today. We've got the Cotton Bowl going on right now, like we said, between Notre Dame or Memphis and Penn State, and then the Camping World Bowl, Notre Dame, Iowa State. Those are the appetizers for the big, big feast coming up at 1 o'clock. Oklahoma taking on LSU in the Peach Bowl. LSU, 13.5-point favorites in that one. And then in the nightcap, number two, Ohio State, facing number three, Clemson, in the Fiesta Bowl. That game gets underway at 5 p.m. Today's winners in the semifinals of the college football playoff will meet in the national championship game on January 13th. Something different this year. They're giving each team a bye week between the semifinals and the national championship game. Used to be just one week in between the games. Not so much anymore. This year's field 
features two previous winners, Clemson. They've won it twice. Ohio State won the inaugural college football playoff. And one newcomer to the playoff, LSU, they have never made it this far in the existence of the CFP. Oklahoma, they made it last year to the semifinals where they were bounced by Alabama. All of the action can be heard this afternoon starting at 1 p.m. right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Number two. Well, the NFL playoff picture is shaping up. Ten of 12 playoff spots are already clinched, including six of eight division winners in the AFC Baltimore understandably claimed the North home field advantage. They look like the best team in football right now. The Pats also claiming, uh, right, a spot? I just said that. I read that wrong. <laughs> claiming a third division. Texans clinching the AFC South, and the Chiefs have the AFC West. While the Bills have claimed a wild card spot in the NFC, things are a little murkier. The Saints won the NFC South. Packers winning the North. And the Vikings have clinched a wild card spot. But the NFC East looking like it will go to the Eagles after they beat the Cowboys last week. The Eagles will clinch if they beat the Giants at the Meadowlands today. According to 538, there's 70% chance of that happening. And then Dallas would need a little bit of luck. They would need to beat Washington at home, but also need Philly to lose. And then in the NFC West, where it all boils down on Sunday Night Football, that's where things get really interesting. Both the Seahawks and the Niners have claimed a spot in the playoffs. That's guaranteed, but who could have home uh, field advantage and who could who could be have one of the best records and be going on the road. It all comes down to this game. It's going to get really interesting on Sunday night football. Number three. Well, we had the battle for LA part two on Christmas Day and Balmer's boys took home the W, the Clippers taking down the Lakers. But the Lakers, even without LeBron James, who re-aggravated his groin injury in that game, are still two games up on the Clippers in the West and two and a half games up on the Denver Nuggets as well. The Rockets rounding out the top four there in the Western Conference. And as we look at the Eastern Conference, the Bucks, Celtics, Heat, and Raptors rounding out that top four. This week, Luka Doncic signing a Lucrative deal <laughs> with Jordan see Brand. What see what I did there? And uh, James Wiseman, a potential number one NBA draft pick, signing with Excel Sports Agency, thus confirming he will not return to college basketball at any point and will prepare for the NBA draft upcoming in 2020. So... A lot of NBA news happening as well this week, big week, as they have their sort of Thanksgiving Day tradition for football on Christmas Day, where a full slate of games took place and a lot of interesting action happening in the NBA. I think a lot of casual sports fans and casual NBA fans view Christmas Day as the official like start to the season when they when they pay attention to it, I guess. Yeah. That's a great point. Because it's sort of the last... So- end of the NFL regular season. A good portion of NFL teams will be out of it, so you can sort of shift your focus onto the NBA and hoping your your team will do well in the NBA. I kind of like how holidays are tied to certain sports and they have that place in our hearts. You know, football being Thanksgiving and then for Christmas it's the NBA basketball and then New Year's you kind of have college football college slash football, yeah. you have the winter classic if you are a hockey fan on the first this year in Dallas of all places which will be really interesting i think it's predicted to be like 65 degrees so uh, <laughs> we'll see how what happens between the preds and the stars but uh, the winter classic always has a huge place in my heart too very yeah and i think they i don't know if they do it anymore but they used to do the hbo 
24-7 series leading up to yeah. the Winter Classic. That was some must-see television Very cool. as well. Uh, but that is this hour's big three. Some honorable mentions. If you missed in the first hour, uh, Jags head coach Doug Marone will not be retained in 2020. Uh, Jags owner Shad Khan talking about that today. With the media, they'll be in the market for a new head coach. One team that will not be is the Atlanta Falcons. They're bringing back head coach Dan Quinn and GM Thomas Dimitrov in 2020. Uh, Some other news and notes. New Orleans Saints, they are working out or have worked out Antonio Brown, who... uh, Why? Boo. Yeah. Get this guy out of here. One of six wide receivers that they worked out, supposedly, and Sean Payton said there's no signing imminent, but still. Why? No need for it. No. Cancel uh, AB 2020. And then uh, some other it, weird headlines. I saw this one yesterday. The Pelicans, they are t- they're teaching number one overall pick Zion Williamson how to run and walk differently because I think they're worried about his recovery from knee surgery going a little longer than expected. He was expected to be out six to eight weeks. We're up to about ten weeks now into the season. Still no word on when his return will be if he does come back at all in 2020. Who knows? The Pelicans, they're nowhere near contention, so they may just hold him out and play for another lottery pick. How to walk differently. I think it's weird how three of the most recent number one overall picks haven't been able to do basic skills. Markel Fultz, Ben Simmons, Mm -hmm. they don't know how to shoot. Zion Williamson apparently doesn't know how to walk correctly. Yeah. Yeah, there's a great, I'm reading a great book right now, which I highly recommend called Range, and it talks about why our world is so focused on specialization these days and why generalists actually succeed in a specialized world, whether it's the fact that we're obsessed with precocity from a young age in America and making our kids do adult things when they're little, but it also translates to the sports world, right? And actually one of the sections is talks about how basketball players, once they get the, the their entire career, which is, you know, amateur career is not very long, but it's focused on getting them to the league. And then once they get to the league, it's about preserving them. So they don't actually get their it's almost like they stop working out their basic muscles. They're they're even their weightlifting routines and everything is about preserving them and not when actually they limit themselves and what they're able to do. And I would think that part of it is because, yeah, then they become so sheltered and they're not even fully like playing the sport anymore. It's the most it's bizarre thing. Crazy, yeah. seeing these like finely tuned athletes that have to break it down for them to just do the most basic, basic skills. Things. Yeah. Although, hey, shout out to Markel Fultz. He looks like he figured out the free throw. Yeah, down. yeah, yeah. He looks like he's getting there. Ben, I don't know about the three point. We'll 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 discuss. I believe he's at two now. Yeah, so all right. He's he's on his way back. <laughs> uh, coming up in this hour, we got the top moments of the year. We. Compiled a list, all of us here at 710 ESPN, compiled a list of the top sports stories in Seattle for 2019. We'll unpack that coming up at 1030. But up next, somebody with a very unique perspective on tomorrow's game between the 49ers and Seahawks. This next guest, he spent a few years covering the 49ers. He now covers the Seahawks for NBC Sports Northwest. Joe Fan. he joins us on Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. What are some of the biggest regular season games in Seahawks history? About 30 minutes from now, we get into those here on Seattle Sports Saturday. But right now, we are joined on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. 
by Joe Fan of NBC Sports Northwest. Joe, good morning to you. Hey, good morning, everybody. I appreciate you having me on. Joe, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. We really appreciate it. We are all looking forward to this game on Sunday. We've got kind of like an internal countdown clock. It's kind of like counting down for New Year's, except counting down for this game. What's it been like for you leading up to to this week? Because I know you have the unique experience of having co- covered the Niners as well. And and what's this the this build up been like for you? Yeah, I think for me it's just been like the anticipation of getting to this week because I think everyone kind of knew where this thing was headed following Seattle's Week Ten win uh, at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. You know, so I think it all was projecting to where. You know, who knows how we're going to get here, but it you know, just seems inevitable that Week 17 is going to be for the division, and here we are. It's for the division, and unfortunately, the Seahawks couldn't get their job done against Arizona last week to where you know, the number one seed isn't on the line or a first-round bye isn't on the line in Seattle's control, but it is for the Niners. And they're the one seed of the five seed, and the Seattle's you know, more than likely the three seed of the five seed. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a huge game, and... Um, you know, when you have rivalries like this, I mean, this is how this is the kind of games that, that get them back to, you know, the heyday of what it was in kind of the mid 2010s with, with Jim Harbaugh and Pete Carroll. And, you know, a matchup like this is, uh, is what gets it back to that level. So I, I can't wait. It's going to be a good one. So we've seen the Niners take that next step this season. What do you think was the biggest factor in that step and the reason why the Niners are now one of the top teams in the NFL? Well, having Jimmy healthy is, is certainly big. I mean, that season last year was over really before it started, given that, um, you know, Garoppolo got hurt with his torn, you know, tearing his ACL in week three. So, you know, that's, a, you know, that's basically makes it a wash season, you know, because there's not many teams out there that can survive losing their starting quarterback. Um, you know, and the other part of it is that they got a pass rush. You know, San Francisco, the whole time I covered them all four years, had no pass rush, and they've been looking for edge rushers for so long. And, um, you know, the, the beauty of having Jimmy Garoppolo go down is all of a sudden you end up with a second overall pick and Arizona takes Kyler Murray and so Nick Bosa kind of falls in your lap. So you have this lost year, but, you know, it's not – I kind of compare it to, like, the Warriors, right? The Warriors are going to have a terrible season this year in the NBA, but so they should have a pretty decent draft pick, and all of a sudden they're reloading with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson next year. And so they're not necessarily rebuilding, right? They feel like they have a ton of pieces already in place. And so the Niners are very much the same way. You know, they were kind of a, a sleeper team to make the playoffs last year, and so there was no reason, given how they reloaded with Jimmy, um, that they wouldn't be a contender this year. So to me, it's just everything's kind of um, clicking all at once. Joe, when you look at the reinforcements the Seahawks should be getting tomorrow on the defensive side of the ball, Jadevian Clowney, Shaquille Griffin, maybe even Quandre Diggs, of those three, who do you expect to have the biggest impact on what the Seahawks do defensively? Well, Clowney's huge. I mean, the pass rush is so anemic without him. Um, you know, and even him, you know, by himself, he hasn't been able to put up the sack totals. I'm sure he'd like to. But, you know, he was the big game changer in that game. He absolutely dominated Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey. And, you know, who knows if you're getting, you know, 80% of Clowney, 70% of Clowney, but it really doesn't matter. They need him in there so badly. Uh, but the Quandre Diggs, you know, his absence is huge. And there was no... Uh, coincidence of the five games he was in the lineup with the five best games the defense has played. I mean, having that deep third safety is so crucial to what Pete Carroll wants to do defensively. And, you know, he just simply doesn't trust any other player on the roster to handle that, which is why they cut, you know, why they run so much cover two with Bobby Wagner really playing a deep third at that point, which isn't taking, you know, best advantage of what his skill set is. So 
I don't anticipate Dix will play. I think it's one of those, like, should the Packers win tomorrow, or sorry, lose tomorrow to the Lions, then all of a sudden you're playing for a first-round bye. They might go to him and be like, hey, is there any way you can make this happen? Because if you win this game, if you help us win this game, we get a bye, and you get to you know, sit out a whole week then before the divisional round. So I would say it's only a, bla- uh, a break glass in case of emergency type deal because they need him so badly in the wild card round. Um, you know, should the, the Packers win and you're playing wild card weekend regardless. We're talking to Seahawks insider for NBC Sports Northwest, Joe Fan. You can follow him on Twitter. He's a great Twitter follow at Joe underscore fan two ends. Joe, this week, a big storyline, of course, has been Marshawn Lynch. What's it been like and to be in and around the locker room this week when Beast Mode signed with the Seahawks? It's pretty surreal. I mean, you see him walking around, you're like, man, he's really here. Like, he's really going to play on Sunday. And I think, you know, everyone has kind of had, you know, that picture in their head of him running out of the tunnel or him coming onto the field or him converting that third and one, you know, early in the game. And it's just going to be electric. I mean, every step he takes is going to be followed and is going to be highly anticipated, starting with pregame warmups. And so, um, you know, I think it's, it's funny because you hear KJ Wright talking about how some of the younger guys were starstruck, you know. Oh, what's he like? You know, he's cool. And Kasich is kind of laughing like the old guy in the room, being like, "Yeah, he's a good guy. You're gonna like him." But um, you know, the fact of the matter is, they need him. You know, and you know, he's, I anticipate him probably to get more work than maybe others expect. Um, you know, because there's a reason why Travis Homer was fourth on the depth chart and really wasn't thrust into the lineup until he absolutely needed to be. And because Pete Carroll trusts veterans, and especially in you know moments like this, the stage like this, the stakes like this, you know, I think he's gonna want guys in there we can trust and. You know, yeah, Marshawn hasn't played football in 14 months, but, man, are you really going to doubt what you know Marshawn Lynch is capable of doing? I mean, that guy's just done it for so long. Such a talented football player. Um, and so I expect him, you know, the Seahawks to lean on him quite a bit. You know, and I think the biggest thing for the Marshawn signing is that it just uh, allows the entire city, but the locker room included, just kind of turn the page from what was an embarrassing loss to the Cardinals and say, all right, we got some hope in here. We got some good vibes back, and we can take care of business this weekend and beat, beat our rivals uh, in Week 17 and win this division. So that alone, regardless of whatever it gives you production-wise, makes it a worthwhile signing. For production-wise, and you mentioned it right there, what do you think will be the level of expectations from the team standpoint? What do you think though they want out of these three running backs that they have on the roster? Yeah, my guess for Marshawn was like 12 or 13 carries, around 40 yards. Um, and then, you know, should they get in the red zone or inside the five-yard line? I don't, you're not giving it to anybody but beast mode, right? So, um, you know, my expectation is that he, um, you know, gets around up in that ballpark, 12 or 13 carries. And, you know, Robert Turbin and, and, and Travis Homer maybe split up the other 12 or 13 carries. And um, that's kind of how they, they're going to make it up. And so, you know, I think it, the biggest thing is, like, when they're in two-minute situations or if they fall behind, you know, Travis Homer's going to have to be the guy because he's going to have the calls down, the signals down, and, and all of that far more comprehensively than the other two. And so you're going to have to go with him probably. But should the game remain close or, or if the Seahawks build an early lead, I would expect them to lean on the veterans, the veterans a little bit more. Joe Fan of NBC Sports Northwest joining us here on Seattle Sports Saturday. And, Joe, it seems crazy to think that the Seahawks may be better off going on the road in the postseason because home field advantage is what everybody plays for. That's what you. That's goal number one in the regular season is to get home field advantage throughout the postseason. But the Seahawks, they're seven and one on the road this year. They they've not really protected home field so much. They've lost three times at CenturyLink Field. Do you think the Seahawks would be better served going out on the road in the postseason? 
No, I don't buy that at all. I mean, I get the record. I get what the records say, but look at the teams they've won and lost to. I mean, outside of uh, either the Cardinals game, which was embarrassing, sure. You know, you lost at home to the New Orleans Saints, and you lost at home to the, the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, those are two games you would have lost on the road as well. So, yeah, I don't feel like they have that. Outside of the Niners game, you know, that was their one real signature win of the season. You know, I don't think you're looking at any of those road games and saying, man, like, they went into a hostile environment and took care of business. I mean, I can tell you, even Pittsburgh in week two, that place wasn't sold out. It wasn't full. Ben Roethlisberger was out by halftime. Um, it just, you know, it just doesn't stand as like a, oh, you point to that and say, well, they can go win three straight road games on their way to the Super Bowl. It just doesn't work like that. You have to be able to at least start at home. Um, you know, so I'm not buying into the, oh, this team is more suited to play on the road. I just think that. You know, you look at where the schedule has kind of fallen and who they've beaten, and um, I think anyone would tell you, the, especially if they have to end up playing on Saturday, right? I mean, that shortens your week up, and all of a sudden you're traveling to the East Coast on a Thursday, and um, just far easier all the way around if you're able to play at home on Wild Card Weekend. All right, we'll let you out of here on this one, Joe. Predictions for this Sunday. How do you see this game playing out on Sunday Night Football? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I feel bad being the negative Nancy here. You never can count out Russell Wilson at CenturyLink Field on prime time, especially after a loss. I mean, he's just been so good. But I think the losses of Quandre Diggs and Dwayne Brown, especially, I mean, you saw the impact of not having Dwayne Brown. Chandler Jones absolutely dominated that game against the Seahawks last week with six quarterback hits and four sacks all by himself. You know, and that guy, you know, that wrecks an offensive game plan, you know, and so Nick Bosa has the potential to do more and he has more help along the defensive line with guys like Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner. And so I just think the Niners are the more talented team. I think that's indicated by, you know, their point differential. I don't think that happens by accident. Um, you know, so I expect it to be close, but ultimately I think the Niners are the better team. They have George Kittle back in the lineup who I believe is the best tight end, tight end in football. And then, you know, I expect San Francisco to win this game. But my caveat to that is I expect the Seahawks to beat either the Dallas Cowboys or the Philadelphia Eagles in wild card weekend, which would mean those two teams, as long as the Vikings lost in the first round of the playoffs, that the, the Niners are hosting the Seahawks in the divisional round. He is Joe Fan. That's his actual name. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Joe Fan. And uh, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks, uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate you guys. All right, that is Joe Fan joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. He brings up some interesting points there, especially with the the whole home field discussion, which we're going to probably get into coming up at eleven when we ask our biggest questions for the Seahawks uh, coming up at uh, you know coming into week seventeen. But I think there's been a lot of fans out there who look at the Seahawks seven and one on the road, said, "Oh, well, that's that's where you would want to go, right? That's that's <laughs> where the Seahawks have been their most successful." But yeah, you look at the other two losses the Seahawks have had at home against uh, the Saints and the Ravens. Those are two teams that are really, really good. And, like, I mean, the Seahawks would have lost those games probably if those games get played in Baltimore New Orleans. And I don't think you want to count out that crowd, especially in the playoffs, especially what they've done in the past in the playoffs here in Seattle. With the return of Marshawn Lynch, just expect it to be knocked up to a whole other decibel. Bring your earplugs, maybe, if you need them. Uh, protect your hearing, because I imagine it's going to be rocking on Sunday. If you leave there with a voice, we, we got some words we got to yeah. have after this, because that's a problem. <laughs> you got to be after. losing your voice if you're stepping into that, <laughs> that stadium. Coming up in 15 minutes, we take a look back at some of the most memorable, massive, regular season games the Seahawks have played. 
plenty of games on our list. We want to hear from you. Which ones stick out to you as sort of the ones you have looked forward to the most over the last decade or so? Coors Light text lines there for you, 710-710. But up next, we we did a little project here at 710 ESPN, a group project. What were the top sports moments of the year in the city of Seattle in 2019? We unveil the list next. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. We want to hear from you on the Coors Light text line 710-710. What have been the most anticipated regular Seahawks games you can remember? That's coming up in about 15 minutes here on Seattle Sports Saturday. But every single year... We do something on our website, 710sports.com, where we each vote. We're talking hosts, producers, writers, anybody, Taylor, (laughs) social media gurus, anybody that does really anything here at 710 ESPN Seattle. Uh, We all vote. We get a ballot put together by Brent Stecker, editor of 710sports.com, and we rank our top 10 stories in Seattle sports over the last calendar year. Now, a little caveat about this list. We submitted our entries before Marshawn Lynch's return mm. was even a thought. Like, none of us even thought that was a possibility. Right. That would have changed the entire voting process. Oh, yeah. Yes. But I think we've got ourselves a pretty sturdy list right. in the top 10. Now, I don't know if we all agree with the where things are ranked but the order yeah yeah but, but i think most of us did have these 10 in some order correct in the top 10 yeah i mean making the list of 10 was pretty easy in fact we actually had some honorable mentions that had to be cut out and though you know i had some pretty good moments and big moments as well there uh, in honorable mention as well. So it wasn't like uh, we were struggling, you know, Earl Thomas leaving and Bobby Wagner's contract. Those are all things that didn't make the cut. So. No, but we had a lot of stuff that did make the cut. Beginning with number 10, and this one happened in the middle of the night. Uh, March 21st, Mariners taking on the Oakland A's in Tokyo the final game of Ichiro's storied Major League Baseball career. And we're going to see the final curtain come down on Ichiro Suzuki. There comes Scott Service out of the dugout. Ichiro's out there in right field as we go to the bottom of the eighth inning in a 4-4 tie. And now Scott Service pointing out to Ichiro. Ichiro turns around to the crowd in right field, waves goodbye, tips his cap to the crowd, and the marvelous... Hall of Fame career for Ichiro Suzuki will come to a close here in his native Japan at the Tokyo Dome tonight on this Thursday evening, March the 21st of 2019. Pretty cool. Very get like goosebumps, man. And just the fact that it was also in Japan, right? Like, what are the odds you come from Japan, you're this storied hero there in the league, you come to Seattle... You have such success in your first season and beyond, Hall of Fame career, and then to bookend it, to go back to Japan, to play on the team that you played with in Major League Baseball, to just end your career. I mean, that's a that's a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Well, and it speaks to, to the legacy that he has created here in America that 
people would make it a point to stay up in the middle of the night because oh, that yeah. game began, I believe, at like 1 a.m. It did. I had to work at like I get up for work at like 3.45 a.m. on the weekdays. And it was just kind of, you know what? We're having an all night slumber party tonight because these are so the, those games were amazing. And particularly yeah, just for Ichiro, use the moment that you say Kikuchi and Ichiro hugged. Uh, and just you saw also on the, on the flip tears. side of that, he couldn't yeah, even look at him. your hero. He couldn't even look Ichiro in the eyes because I, I think he just imagined playing with a hero of yours and mm-hmm. to play with him in in the country, you know, in Japan. And what a moment! That's ten. That's, that's number ten. That's yeah. what's crazy is that was ten on this list. And the other moments, you also feel like yeah, they were there were nine moments that were equally, if not. Bigger than that. Number nine, Doug Baldwin announcing his retirement. There was word around the draft time that Doug Baldwin was considering retirement. And you saw it with the Seahawks draft uh, where they take DK Metcalf, Gary Jennings, and also John Ursua in the draft. Three wide receivers in order to replace Doug Baldwin's uh, impact on the Seahawks. DK Metcalf, he's done a great job in his rookie season coming sort of close to what Doug DK Baldwin- Metcalf? Yeah, which you can buy now. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Doug Baldwin's announcement, uh, his retirement announcement, that's number nine. Number eight, also dealing with the draft, the Seahawks and their trade of Frank Clark to the Kansas City Chiefs for another first-round pick uh, as well that they were able to flip for even more draft picks, turning their four picks heading into the 2019 draft into 11 total uh, and as we saw John Schneider work his magic on draft night, it was uh, pretty pretty impactful, that trade, for the Seahawks setting them up for their future. Yeah, a lot of these somewhat involving John Schneider in a way, one way or another, because of where they were at to start the season. We talked about the turnover from just after the game on Sunday and how dismal it was. It felt to be a Seahawks fan after that game and then uh, – the bright news of Marshawn signing and something creative John Schneider had done. Well, that's kind of how their season has gone for the entirety of it as well, because there were parts where you, you were looking at the draft and you're like, oh, four picks and just like all these players seem to be ex- exiting or they were on the cusp of exiting. And lo and behold, it turns out to be one of the most remarkable seasons in Pete and John's tenure. So, yeah. Impressive. And even at the start of this show, just, in March, what we were the conversations we yeah. were having about the Seahawks versus now the conversations that we're having about the Seahawks team. It truly feels like it's been years since since March since we were having those conversations of do you re-sign Frank Clark? Can you re-sign Frank Clark? And now talking about you have Bobby, you have Russell, they're all locked in, and, and what what this team can do now. Number seven. Seattle Sounders winning their second MLS Cup final. Seattle on the brink. And here's Ladero. The referee decides that enough is enough. That is the sound of success. Of the Seattle Sounders' success. They have climbed the mountain. And now our masters... Of all that they survey. I love uh, the British commentary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, enough is enough. <laughs> like a Jedi Knight, no, a Templar Knight. But three-one uh, victory over Toronto FC. The third time those two teams have met in an MLS Cup final in the last four seasons. Taylor, you being a Sounders fan, 
You remember their championship a couple of seasons ago, but to see them win it on Seattle soil. Yeah, that one was just different. To be there, to feel the crowd, you know the Seattle fans are the best soccer fans in the, in the country, and that it, it just meant so much to have this game hosted in Seattle going into the championship weekend for both conferences. It was the most unlikely probability that Seattle would be hosting the game, and yet they ended up hosting the game. And you just knew from the start, from the opening whistle, Seattle just felt in control. And it was so great to see just this team come together. You know, no Clint Dempsey, the expectations different for this team. Losing Chad Marshall, you know, a big, a big cog of this team and still being able to produce. And Brian Schmetzer and the effect he's had with just what a team. Yeah, just a tremendous moment for, for soccer in this city. Uh, tremendous moment for Sounders fans. Number six, we've got the Seahawks trading for Pro Bowl pass rusher Jadevian Clowney, a move that a lot of people I don't think saw coming, especially considering you know the Seahawks, they, they seemed like they were going to be okay with their pass rush going into the season. I got to say, thank you, John Schneider, for thank making you. this move because – could you imagine a year in which Jadevian Clowney didn't even play for the Seahawks team, Mm-mm. where their defense would be without him? I got the opportunity to talk with John. I was filling in for Brock and Salk at the time and with Danny O'Neill to chat with John Schneider. He doesn't do too many interviews, so it was really cool to be able to ask him about Clowney. And at the time, this is what he said about him coming to Seattle. He can do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it. He's that he's that type of player. He's, he's, uh, he's just a freaky athlete. And... You know, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that when those guys are dra- these guys are drafted in the in the first round and or I'm sorry, the first pick overall, and uh, a lot of pressure that comes with that. You know, um, it's a great thing for them, but it's not their fault. So there's a ton of scrutiny put on these guys. And this is a player that you know went down to uh, Houston and played in the three four uh, because he's so talented. Everybody just expects that you, know, you can go play outside linebacker and move around and, and do all that stuff, and that's great. He can do that, but when he had his hand on the ground in the four three. You know, he's just coming up field all the time and and uh, just being super explosive. Yeah, and then we've seen the set, that super explosive side since he's been here. Garoppolo takes the snap, four-man rush. Has time, steps up, gets hit, ball comes yeah. out. Yes. Do the Seahawks get it? They do! Puna Ford has it! Clowney got there again to Garoppolo and stripped it out. It got buried by all of the bodies around, and there is Puna Ford at the bottom with the ball. The Seahawks are in business again. Hashtag resign Clowney 2020. Yeah, let's go. Hashtag Dave Wyman noises. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Maybe the most underrated part of 2019. I wish that we could was an honorable that. mention on the top ten. Yeah. Just, oh yeah. <laughs> 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 this is big. Big linebacker, Dave Wyman, tough guy. Ooh. Gotta love it. That is the first half of the top ten of this list. What other moments do you think are going to make it? We unveil the top five coming up next. here. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Going through the top ten of... Seattle Sports Moments in 2019 right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. By the way, if you've missed any of today's show, make sure you check out the podcast page, 710sports.com. Click on podcasts, scroll down, you'll see us. 
Seattle Sports Saturday. We'll Don't ever let it happen again, though. That's yeah. for sure. It's Better listen from years. 9 to noon. You know when it is. Yeah, five stars. Yes. <laughs> the only rating you're allowed to give us. Uh, but coming up in the next hour, we answer some of the biggest questions surrounding the Seahawks as they get set to take on the 49ers with an NFC West title on the line. But we are in the middle of unveiling 710 ESPN Seattle's top 10 sports stories of 2019 list. Uh, 10 through 6, just a quick little recap. Number 10, Ichiro's retirement. Number 9, Doug Baldwin's retirement. Number 8, the trade of Frank Clark to Kansas City. Number 7, the Seattle Sounders claiming their second MLS Cup title. And number 6, Seattle's acquisition of Jadevian Clowney from the Houston Texans. That brings us to number 5. And number 5 is the Seahawks' hot start to the season, starting 10-2. and two. They're now 11-4 and four with one week to go in the regular season, a season in which I think everybody kind of continue, everybody thought the retooling was going to continue. But the Seahawks back to double-digit wins, uh, a winning record in, what is it now, eight straight seasons. Seven of those eight years have resulted in a playoff appearance, and that's what the Seahawks are going to be playing for at least next week, probably even the week after that, or if they do get a bye. So the Seahawks back to the postseason and a ten and two start. Heck of a heck of a way to continue this retooling. I Absolutely. Guess. If you check online, you should check out the the full list online, seven ten sports dot com, which also has links to different articles that were written throughout the year on these stories and uh, different hosts and producers, writers commenting on these, and Dave Wyman commenting on on the hot start and said that. Pinpointing John Schneider deserves a lot of credit and the trade for Quandry Diggs for like nothing, by the way, yeah. uh, it was huge. And he's made such an impact since coming to Seattle. First and 10 from the 41. Garoppolo takes the snap, looks, throws, tipped. It's picked off, going down the far side. It's Blair down the far side. Stops, cuts back inside, knocked off his feet. It's Diggs, I beg your pardon. It's 37 and not 27. I don't care. It's a guy dressed in Seahawk gray, and the Seahawks have the ball. Coming off the hands of Kendrick Bourne, right into the hands of Quandre Diggs. <laughs> He's been just a tremendous find, and like you said, Lydia, for pennies on the dollar. They yeah. gave up very little for his services you could tell even how shocked his the te- his teammates were when that happened and said no team captain and this guy is not only so big on the field but in the locker room as well yeah He's- and it feels like he'll be a piece of this franchise for the, at least the next few years which is great to, great to see because you can see what type of confidence he instills in the other players on that defense as well coming up uh, in number four the number four slot is the final bow of a Seattle sports icon. We're talking Felix Hernandez. Come Scott, and this is going to be it. He's going to take his final bow right now. Felix has thrown 106 pitches. And ladies and gentlemen, we are witnessing the culmination of a magnificent Mariners career for Felix Hernandez as he shakes hands with Scott Service. Looks each, they look each other in the eye. The whole infield is oh, gathered around. A big they hug. hug each other. They hug. He, Kyle oh. Seeger hugs Felix. Big slap. Low five with Narvaez. And now Felix takes his cap off. Big roar. Listen to this crowd. 
Felix takes a bow, doffs his cap, walks off. There he comes out with a curtain call. Well deserved. Well deserved as he comes out, crosses the warning track, touches his heart with his right hand, right hand up in the air as he spins around and acknowledges everybody in T-Mobile Park, raises his cap up in the left hand, both hands up in triumph with a fist point. Oh, my. This is really something. Congratulations, Felix. You had a magnificent run, buddy. I get chills with that one, too. Yes. Being in the house. Start the season with Ichiro retiring. (laughs) End the season with King Felix retiring. Or, I guess, yeah, leaving the Mariners. And he may, he said recently he wants to keep pitching. But uh, just what a, in a a season that felt lost, Mm -hmm. what a way to experience joy and to have two legends and have them go out and, and paid homage to properly. And it almost was, put a bow on that era. Yeah. So, yeah. And it was a moment that we all saw coming for at least a couple of years. And yet in that moment, even though we knew it was going to happen, it did catch you off guard. It certainly caught me off guard just how gripped I was watching Felix step off the mound for the final time as a Mariner. Because, you know, his last couple of years were so disappointing. You're just kind of like, all right, let's let's cut the cord on this, let's move on. But then when that opportunity or when that moment happened, it's kind of like, oh, I I I don't think I was ready. I don't think I was ready to say mm-hmm. goodbye. But uh, you know, it it was time for both sides to move on. It's yeah. it, I think it's going to be cathartic for both. Uh, hopefully, you know, Felix is able to uh, you know have a, a second chapter in the game of baseball, uh, especially because. He's one of the more competitive people you'll ever get a chance to watch or, or even meet, and uh, he certainly deserves he deserves at least a, a postseason start. Yeah, I loved hearing from him after that game when he was saying he tried not to cry in the pregame, and just that relationship with the fans is always going to be so special to him. Biggest takeaway, uh, you know what? All this year when I played with Seattle, I mean, I was just having fun. I mean, I just really thanked the organization for opportunity. When I was 16 years old, and I came out in the buildings when I was 19, and you know, uh, it's a lot of different things going on through my mind right now. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, Ooh. speechless. Yep. Uh, speaking of speeches, <laughs> this next one, story number three, a speech, what, 15 years in the making, five mm-hmm. years post his retirement, 10 years on the Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. Edgar Martinez finally makes that walk across the stage at Cooperstown, New York. He gets inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. That is story number three. And uh, being at T-Mobile Park the day of his induction uh, was a really cool experience because they played his speech on Mariner's Vision before the game, uh, and just everybody there, they were, you know, chanting Edgar. It was just seeing the number 11 jerseys. Dude, this, and, the Mariners fans showed out. Yes. So impressed because obviously Mo, the fans were there, but they don't have as far to travel. And just really incredible to see the strong showing of Mariners fans. We are loyal, just as we mentioned. Yes. If anything, we are loyal. <laughs> yeah. And it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Right. I Absolutely. mean, just the most humble person and uh, dude could swing a bat better than just about anybody ever, especially from the right-hand side. Uh, just To all my teammates. You make me a better player. Baseball is a team sport, and without your talent, passion, and brotherhood, I will not be here. I won't be able to mention all all of you, but you know who you are. 
I love you, and I consider you brother for life. Oh, jeez. <laughs> we talk about putting a bow on this year with a lot. It was If I had to theme this year, it was. We closed the book on a lot of legendary people here in Seattle, whether, you know, it, it was players that hadn't played in a while in um, in Edgar Martinez and him finally getting into the Hall of Fame or players that had played but didn't look like their former selves and Felix Hernandez. But then also you had uh, Doug Baldwin retiring. You had uh, Earl uh, leaving the team. And, and just a lot of the, the players that have meant so much, it just seemed like a fresh era in all of Seattle sports. So it was a, a common theme. Yeah, we're, tur- we're literally turning the page on almost everything, right? The Seahawks old team from the LOB to this new Russell Wilson-led team from the Ichiro Edgar Mariners teams now to this new Kyle Lewis young generation of Mariners and that, that page turning even extends to the Huskies. Yes, because our number two story is Chris Peterson's surprise resignation about a month ago. You know, one of the things that I've always felt that um, I've been fairly intuitive uh, with is when to go and when to stay and when to change. And I felt very strongly that this is the right time for me personally um, to make a change. Getting a win in his final bowl game against his former team, Boise State, uh, it was a pretty epic moment to see that ice bath on Chris Peterson. He said it wasn't too comfortable, but I'm sure it felt pretty incredible in the moment. And look, you can have an opinion either way about this, but you can't disregard what he's done for the program since he's been here. And I'm really happy Coach was able to get a W, and they they sent him out on on the right foot. So that's number two. Yeah, that <laughs> like, was number that's two. That's number two. Uh, a surprise <laughs> resignation for maybe the second most decorated coach in Husky football history. Yep. What's number one? What hey, is Seattle? Oh, we got a deal. Ah. <laughs> Go Hawks. <laughs> go Hawks. I'm going to see y'all in the morning. Good night. Time for y'all to go to bed. Finally, you can go to sleep. <laughs> see y'all in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest uh, yet fitting most on-point video ever. Yeah, on yeah. brand. Yes. On brand. You know what? Russ going to be Russ. And it... it just wouldn't we wouldn't have it any other way in Seattle. We also wouldn't have his uh, teammates making fun of him in any other way. Hey Seattle, we got a deal. Go Hawks. <laughs> DJ Fluker, legend. For yeah. Yes, his comedic timing very underrated. So why do you think this was the number one story for so many people? I mean, the the number one team in town is the Seahawks. Number the, one athlete in town, Russell Russ. Wilson. Uh, the most successful quarterback in Seahawks history, Russell Wilson, and to essentially confirm that he is not going to be playing any of his prime years in anywhere other than Seattle, that when you have a guy like Russell Wilson, you're going to be competing for playoff spots. You're going to be competing for the NFC West. You're going to be competing for the NFC. The implications of just securing Russell Wilson and making sure he doesn't go anywhere show you the impact he has on the Seahawks. And it Money-wise, it was the richest contract ever signed in NFL history, too. Absolutely. I think you're right. And you add that to Bobby Wagner's contract. You add that to Pete and John being here, at least for the next couple of years. You feel like you've got this championship window. And, you know, go out. Go out and win it in the time that you've got. And it's his team. So he's got – and 
it, it's going to come down to the performance of Russell Wilson. He doesn't have the LOB or that strong defense to lean on anymore. He's got to lean on himself and be able to produce. That is the list. That is 710 ESPN's list. What is yours? You can head to 710sports.com, chime in there. You can also tweet at the station. You can text in 710-710 as well. That is the 710 ESPN Seattle Top 10 Sports Stories of 2019. But coming up next, some of the biggest questions heading into Sunday night's game. What should we expect from Marshawn over a year removed from his last game? That's among the many questions we ask and answer next. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle.